We turn together to the book of Genesis. This week, beginning chapter 12. Our text for this morning is the first nine verses of Genesis 12. But I'm going to begin reading just a bit earlier because there is some context that will be helpful for us as we look at the call of Abraham. If you would now please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Genesis, beginning at chapter 11, verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions and that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through to the land, through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going, Toward the Negev. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for bringing to us your word. Not only for recording this story by the hand of Moses, 
but Lord, for bringing us providentially to this place and for preserving it all these years, that we might be blessed by it. This we ask in the name, above all names, the name of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we come to the beginning now in Genesis of the story of perhaps one of the most famous characters, persons in Scripture. Father Abraham, who as we are introduced to him here is but Abram, father of none. Man who is living amongst idolaters in Ur of the Chaldeans. Up until this point, Genesis has been dealing with vast universal scope. The themes have been writ large, dealing with all of humanity, great giant floods, creations, the beginnings of civilization. And now, after a period of widening out, God is going to begin narrowing His focus for us. This begins the stories of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And in one sense, this becomes very personal for us. In another sense, we must fight the temptation to look at the story of Abraham and see some sort of Bible icon. Someone who's not really applicable to us, whose life is so different, whose faith is so different, whose temptations are so different than ours. Because you see, in reality... One of the main reasons that God lays out the stories of people is so we would know that we are like them. And just as He is their God, He is your God. And so this morning I would like us to see three things here from this text. First, we will see the call of God on Abram's life. The call of God. And then secondly, we will see the promises of God laid out for Abram. And then finally, we will see the life with God that Abram lives. The call, the promises, and the life. Let's begin then by looking at the call of God on Abram. This text, this passage begins in a, in a perhaps an unusual way for the modern ear. God begins speaking to Abram. And I think sometimes, if God were to appear at Yale, or Texas, or Texas A&M, or at Kroger, there would be a line of people demanding all kinds of questions be answered. Why hurricanes? Why do some people have six fingers? Why does it rain? Why this? Why that? We would all, I think, in some sense become like children. Demanding of God answers of things we need to know. But you notice here when God begins to speak with Abram, how he begins to speak. The very first word that he says to Abram is a command. Go. He doesn't take time to explain what all the benefits would be. He doesn't explain how he is the creator and and deal with all of the skeptical objections that Abram might come up with. God breaks into Abram's life and he breaks in authoritatively. That's how God acts. God is not on our leash. 
God is not a pet that we take around. God is completely in control. And He begins here to purposefully tell us the story of Abram. Because you see, this story is as much about us as it is about Him. It is a story of God's covenant grace. And God's covenantal grace begins with a command. It is an imperative. There is no skirting around the edges of this. It is a very emphatic type of construction. We might think in our mind's eye of perhaps thunder accompanying it or flashes of lightning. It is an authoritative command from God that teaches us two simple things that we must apply. First, it is God who initiates the relationship with His people. There is no calling from Abraham to God here. God breaks into Abram's life and He initiates this relationship. The second thing that we see is that when God initiates this relationship, He makes very clear who is in control. Who is giving the orders, as it were. And the command here is not an easy command. You see, there are some commands that are quite easy to follow. My children have absolutely no difficulty obeying the command, now go get yourself some dessert. They dive right into that command. Right? But this here is a command with some teeth in it. Abram is told to go, to leave. To leave the place that he has always known. The place in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, you recall last week we looked at a place, a city called Babel, where a tower was to be built, where a name was to be made for the city of man. And we said that that is where Babylon is. It's in the area of Iraq. And Ur the Chaldeans is just a bit east of Babylon. When the dispersal of humanity occurred, Abram's family moved just a bit east to what was then a seaport of Ur. It was a place filled with idolatry and wickedness. And Abram hears the very call of God to leave this place and to journey. And Abram does something that every Christian needs to know, to understand, and to emulate. He obeys without question, without argumentation, without the need for improvement. He simply obeys the command of God and goes. Now, there is a bit that's confusing here because it looks like the family had already started to travel at the end of chapter 11. And then they sort of settled in, lost track of time, and then God had to sort of remind or prompt Abram. But I don't think that's what's going on here. What's happening is God is telling us the big picture at the end of chapter 11, and then He's recounting the specifics in chapter 12. That is, the command here chronologically actually occurs between chapter 11, verse 26, and verse 27. Abram is the one who is told to go, and he gathers up his family, and they go to Haran, and they wait. Perhaps Abram was not sure he could leave his family behind. 
And so God takes his family out of the picture and continues to push Abram on, telling him that he must leave all things behind. He must leave behind his country. He must leave behind his relatives. And he must leave behind his father's house. That is his close family. Now think about what Abram is losing here. All of his support system. All of his friends. All of those He could count on all of his roots. And for Abram, this would mean that he would never see them again. Now, some of you know what it is like to leave your family behind. To travel a distance. We experienced that ourselves just about six years ago when we left all of our family, all of our friends behind and moved to this strange new place called Texas. We weren't sure what to expect, but we knew the call of God was upon our lives and we knew that the Lord would bring us new family, new friends, new support system. But you see, as much as I or you experience that, we can't get the full brunt of what Abram had because you see, in just about a month, I'm going to get in this thing called a car. And I'm going to drive as far as Abram went. And I'm going to see my family again. Abram knew he would not. No airplanes. No cars, kids. No telephones. No webcams. He would never see his family again. Think about that. Now think about where God was sending him to. He was sending him to a completely unknown place. He said, Abram, you must go, and you must go to the land. Very definite, very specific, but yet we can imagine Abram saying, a little bit more detail, God, like where? What kind of a land? What does it look like? How many acres? What can I grow there? What are the people like there? No, you will go to the land. Right? Is it easy to... Venture out on that kind of unknown? How many of you go to college simply by picking a place and showing up? None of you do, right? There's this annual ritual. We call it the college visiting. We go and we look at the places and we look at the equipment and we look at the dorms and we look at the classrooms and we talk to the people and we try and find out as much as we can. Here, Abram was just told to just go. To a place that he did not know. He didn't even know where it was. Hebrews 11 verse 8 tells us this. He had absolutely no idea. The only thing he had was the calling of God. And he went out, Hebrews tells us, not knowing where he was going. This is a picture of what God does in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. He tells you to go. But He does not tell you where you are going all the time. Where that journey will take you. Through joys, through sorrows. Through friendships, through loss. Through hard work. You don't know where God is taking you, but God is with you every step of the way. So this should teach us to put aside fear. One of the greatest difficulties for young parents 
is to let go of fear of their children. You know what that's like. Those of you that have grown children, we all tell jokes about it, don't we? The first time your child gets sick, your very first child, there's a cough, you want to rush him off to the emergency room. You have every medicine under the sun in the cabinet. You're taking the temperature every 15 minutes. By the time the third or fourth kid rolls around, you look at the kid and you say, you're not bleeding, you're all right. Go ahead. You see, we need to let go of those kinds of fears. Fear for our children, fear for our jobs, fear for our church, fear for our nation, and put it in the hands of the one who held the hand of Abram. Can you do that? Do you know where the stock market is going tomorrow? I don't. Do you know where our foreign policy is going tomorrow? I don't. But I know that God is in control. Not the United Nations, not the President, not Congress, not me. God. And so we go out following the call. Abram is called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, called to be separate from a world that is filled with idolatry. But he is also given a second command, a command to be a blessing. You'll notice this here in verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Now you have to understand, this is not just a statement of fact. This is another command in Hebrew. He's saying to Abram, Abram, you will be a blessing. Go about it right now. God is charging Abram to be a blessing to the world. He is telling Abram that as you are going out of Ur, as you are going out of that world, you are still remaining in the world. Your call is to be a blessing to others around you. And this is something that, quite frankly, we Christians have a great difficulty reconciling. Some of us understand completely the call to go and go out and be separate. And we make sure that we don't have anything that even smells or looks like the world near us. There are others of us who understand the call to be a blessing to others. And we try so hard to entice the world that we wind up looking exactly like the world. Our call is to be like Abram to be separate and pointed toward God, yet knee-deep in the work of ministry to be a blessing to the world. Now, nobody said that would be easy. We're going to see in weeks to come Abraham messing up over and over again in this charge. But that is our charge, to go and to be a blessing. To do both of these things. Because, you see, following the Lord means doing for Him. There's a New Testament equivalent to this go command. It's heard on the lips of our Savior over and over again. It's a slight variation. It's the word follow. Follow me, Jesus says. And have you thought about what Jesus says when He tells us to follow Him? He doesn't say, follow me and I will give you everything you thought and could ask for. He says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Mark 1. Follow me and take up your cross. Mark 8. Follow me because you hear my voice. John 10. 
Jesus tells us to follow after Him because He has tasks for us. He has ministry for us. He has blessing for us to be a blessing to others. You see, in going, in following, we must have God's agenda before us. Not our own. This is the call of God. But God also lays out before Abram rich promises that Abram might know that God cares for him. He lays out two types of promises. The first I call a cup filled. That is, he is filling the cup of Abram's blessings to the top. And we see three of them here. As God begins these great promises, I will, I will, I will. And the first thing he says is, I will make of you a great nation. Now, nothing could seem more impossible or irrational at this point. Abram is 75 years old. Paul tells us, so weak, counted as dead. His wife is childless. Now, I want you to see the emphasis here in verse 30 of chapter 11. It tells us now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. This is almost one of those occasions where you want to say to the Bible, duh, she was barren. Of course she had no child. But the Bible is not just stating a fact here. It's emphasizing it for us. Think about this promise that's given to Abram, given to a man who has no heir, who carries around his nephew with him because he has no one to leave all of his great wealth to. And God says, not only will you have an heir, I will make of you a great nation. It's unbelievable. It's fantastic. But God gives this promise to Abram, and Abram seizes upon it and trusts him and abandons the past for an unknown future that God has told him is secure. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to let go of what you possess, of what you cherish, of what you think is important to serve God? That's the call to the children of Abram. And if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are, Paul tells us, a child of Abraham. Act like one. Trust the Lord. Trust Him in all that He puts before you. These great and exceedingly precious promises that are always yea and amen. In Christ Jesus. He tells Abram that he will make of him a great nation. But he also tells him that he will bless him. And this is God's way of saying that he will pour out abundant life on Abram. Now five times in this passage we hear Abram say, or God say to Abram, that he will bless him. Five times. It is like that old hymn. The showers of blessing are coming down on Abram. This is the story of Abram and his life. It is a life that is blessed by God. And that is the very foundation of your life and mine. That we trust the Lord when He promises that He will bless us and keep us.
Do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ when He tells you, He who loses His life for my sake will gain it? The last shall be first. I have prepared a place for you in my Father's house. If it were not so, would I not have told you? Do you trust the great promises that Jesus gives to you to bless you? Abram did. He left everything behind because of that promise of God. The third promise that's given to Abram is that he would make, that God would make his name great. (coughs) Which reminds us that it's God's job to make people's names great. It is no coincidence that this promise is given right on the heels of Genesis chapter 11. Where the builders of the Tower of Babel said, we will build this and we will do it that we will have a great name. And God obliterated it. And He said, I will make the name of my people great. And I don't need a great contingent of people. I don't need a great tower. I don't need great human accomplishments. I need simple, childlike faith. Go when I say go. Be a blessing when I say be a blessing. Follow me when I say follow me. This is what God does. Too many of us today in the American church are worried about making our name great. It's the main problem with the evangelical church. We're so concerned that we should have a reputation with the world that we abandon the Word of God. And we abandon the mission of God because we're concerned that our name be great. But it's not just sort of big, liberal churches. It happens to each and every one of us as well. When we're tempted to shy away from the truth of God's Word, from reading God's Word openly, from sharing our faith in the office, in the neighborhood group, at school, because we're afraid it will hurt our reputation. Don't worry about your reputation before man. It's God who makes names great. And like He always does, God not only fills the cup of Abram's blessing, but it begins then to be filled to overflowing. Because you see, one of the great things about the Lord in our lives is that when He blesses us, it overflows to others around us. We become a channel of blessing to others. And so God promises to Abram that He will bless those who bless Him and curse those who despise Him. Now, this is not just about revenge for Abram. This is not just about Abram himself. This is about God establishing a principle that is true today. That the Lord will bless those who bless His people. And He will curse those who despise His people. And as those who profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are included in that promise. Now, this is not some kind of mechanical promise that we can imagine that if someone says bad things about us or mistreats us or cheats us, somewhere out of the ether, a two-ton weight is going to drop on their head. Like in the cartoons. I told you you shouldn't have said bad things about me. God got you. Sometimes we don't even see the results of this promise in this earth. 
But we know, as has been mentioned earlier, that Jesus Christ the King is coming back and He is establishing His kingdom and He will set all things right. And He will bless those who have blessed His people and He will curse those who have rebelled against and despised His people. This is a great comfort in what is becoming, quite frankly, a world much more hostile to the Gospel and Jesus Christ. It may very well be that within our generation or the generation to come, that to speak such things from such a pulpit will be illegal. That reading, buying, and possessing Bibles may be illegal. But God will still be in control. He will still be the one who blesses. He will still be the one who curses. And we must trust Him even when we can't see. The second thing that God promises is that in Abram, all families of the earth will be blessed. Now, this does not mean that the entire world will receive a blessing. Because that would go against what we've just said. But what it does mean is that the whole world, all people, will be blessed without distinction. Not without exception, but without distinction. This blessing from Abram, think about it. From one family, from one nation, this blessing has gone out to South America, to Europe, to Africa, to Asia. All throughout the globe where people speak all kinds of languages, eat all kinds of foods, build all kinds of houses, that blessing has come through one man, Abram. One man. What an overflowing blessing. God has given to us through Abram. The third thing that he promises is that the land will be given to Abram's offspring. And he does that, I think, to make these promises real and tangible. We like to be able to hold things, see things, don't we? And here, God gives Abram something that's very tangible to hold on to. You see, it's difficult to think about getting the blessing of a great name. It's a little bit theoretical. But when we start talking about land, about dirt, then it becomes very real to us. But notice also that even this is not an immediate blessing. Abram does not participate in this blessing now. It's to his seed that the land will be given. Abram has to test his faith has to hold on to the promises of God by not looking to the promises themselves, but by looking to the promise or. Because there is no immediate gratification. He would not live to see the great nation. Having a great name is intangible. And all of these blessings he would impart to others. But you see, Abram looked to the promise or to God himself and trusted him. With the promises. This is the call of God. And this is the promises of God. Finally, we see Abram following God. And this leads to life with God. And life with God consists of hearing and obeying. And trusting and proclaiming for Abram. You see, these promises of God provide action for Abram. He hears and he obeys. Look at the text. Verse 4, so Abram went, 
God said go. Abram went. Look at verse 5. And Abram took. He took his family. He went and he took. And then look at verse 7. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And then Abram built. The rubber met the road in Abram's life. For him, faith was not something theoretical. It was not something just to be talked about, written down in a book. For Abram, faith in the living God affected what he did. It was at the core of his being. Does it affect you that way? Do the promises of God affect and drive and maintain who you will marry? How you will raise your children? The ways in which you will live? How you will work? You see, the promises of God need to affect our daily life or we're not really grasping them and believing them. It's all well and good to say, yeah, there was a Jesus and He was a good man and He taught some good things, but that gets you nowhere. You must seize that promise of Jesus and His life and His death and you must put your whole life stake upon it. You must trust Him with everything that you are, everything that you do. If you do not, you do not really believe. That's what James gets at when he says, faith without works is dead. It's because it doesn't show that we actually trust what we believe. We live our lives based on trusting the promises of God. And Abram here believes God so much so that anything that gets in the way, he knows God will counteract. Could you imagine a conversation that Abram might have with God? God promises to make of him a great nation. God promises to give him all blessings. And Abram would say, well, wait a minute. Let's just say, for example, that I lie about who my wife is when we're in Egypt. And I don't trust you there. Do I still get the promises? I said I will bless you. Okay, let's just take some, let's just say for example, that my descendants walk away from you, Lord, and they build false altars, and they worship Baal, then surely you, I will bless you, says God. Okay, well let's just say, for example, that they come back from exile, and they crucify your son, O Lord. How you can't possibly bless, I will bless you says God. You see, everywhere that we have responsibility and we fall short, God fulfills the responsibility. The promises are ours because of the work of the Lord. Do you know that in your heart? If you do, it's freeing. Because God is in charge. It's not up to us to do or to die. It's up to us to believe and to live. And Abram believes this so much that he begins then to show that trust and proclaim who God is in the midst of this land. You'll notice what happens here at the end of our passage. Abram goes out and he builds an altar of the Lord and begins then to call upon the name of the Lord. To publicly worship God in the midst of idolatry. He's there 
in the promised land. But remember, Moses reminds us that the Canaanites are there. The idolaters are there. But Abram plants God's flag in the midst of this place and he says, the God of the universe will be worshipped here. He plants his flag. He says God's dominion will be held. He followed the word of God. And he looked to the true reward that God had placed for him. He looked to the promises of God and that was enough for him. Is it enough for you? Do you long to be one of Abram's children? Hear the call of God. Look to the promises of God. And live your life in the presence of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You this morning that You have described for us the story of a simple man. A simple man that You called to greatness. Not by his own skill or might, but by Your hand. Lord, we ask that You would make us true children of Abraham. That we would follow after Him as He follows after You. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. And now, the Lord's blessing be upon you. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead that great shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may He equip you with everything that is good, that you might do His will. This we ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.